So hello, welcome to the second podcast of What's New in Cloud FinOps. Uh, this is your host, Franck Contrepois, and I am with... Stephen Oates. There we go. So that's your FinOps dream team, really. <laughs> so today we have lots of news that happened in the last month, and we're going to go through each one of them, explaining you what is the impact on money, on cost, on cloud cost, and then we will go into our top 10 tips for savings in the cloud. Yeah, it's a really exciting main topic. I think it's something that we've had a few people ask for. It's going to be you know, very useful, very standard. People want to know what FinOps is, and uh, it's a good one to go through. But like you say, loads of news. Even from we, we did the initial list a week ago, we've had to add a load because a load of stuff's come out in the last week. So, um, so a good month for FinOps it just means we're going to have to try to condense it all in as quickly as we can. Uh, so I'll get us kicking, Frank, yep. with some news about AWS budgets and some new actions, AWS budget actions that have come out. You can now stop EC2 instances or switch them off when you hit certain budget criteria, which is a nice new feature showing that you can use the, the cost impact to make decisions in your infrastructure. The other thing is budgets had looked quite expensive. They have made some price reductions on that as well, although it's still maybe a little bit on the pricey side. It's always interesting having to pay for something that's meant to save you money. But yeah, that's what's new in cloud budgets. So ju just one thing there, there is also, it also impacts service control policies, if you are familiar mm. with that, which means that it might disable access to certain services when you have an organization, an AWS organization. Yeah. Next one is new instance type, which is the P4D. So the P4D is about uh, GPUs. So this is about machine learning or graphical work. And the interesting thing is the smallest one is a 24X large which costs $32 an hour. That's a lot. One terabyte <laughs> of memory, 96 vCPU. But there is a, it costs less to and much faster to train your algorithms. At the same time, there are, what is quite interesting is that for the first time, AWS not selling, you're just buying a part of a massive cluster. So there are mm -hmm. ultra clusters they've created, which has 4,000 A100 GPUs from NVIDIA, petabyte non-blocking networking, loads of things there, and you're just getting a piece of that. So $32 an hour is something like $23,000 a month, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, but if you're doing a big workload, it will train a lot quicker. Yes, that's the idea. Fantastic. And, uh, and, and it brings supercomputer and democratize supercomputer access because all of a sudden, something that in the past you could do only with uh, very much supercomputers only available for whether uh, you big universities, all of a sudden you can buy and you can say, I'm going to spend three hours of that stuff only and you'll get some excellent results of testing. So really good for researchers, I feel. Fantastic. Well, the next piece of news is on the same lines. Graviton has hit RDS in the AWS world um, and it's also hit Elasticash and you should see about a 52% saving uh, using it in RDS and a 45% saving using it on Elasticash. So uh, some great savings. We've already been impressed by the Gravitons. We talked about them last month. Now they're hitting more services. And, and I just want to do a couple of things. So first of all, uh, a caveat, Graviton is non-Intel, which means that, mm -hmm. for example, the SQL and Oracle are not going to run on it. Yeah. But at the same time, the fact that it is RDS and Elastic Cache means that it is AWS job to recompile stuff and make sure they run on Graviton correctly. So that means that Graviton are easier to get access to and the discount, the, the savings and the price performance improvement are definitely worth the test. 
Yeah, worth worth people looking at if they're using Postgres potentially. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, next one we have the uh, so AWS introduced two new services, which is PO management and cost categories. So the idea is that you can map so you can map your usage, so your VMs, your tags, and other things like this to what what PO so purchase order they need to be connected with or with type of who is the owner of that spend. It is an extremely interesting thing. Um, I personally find it limited in the fact that it requires technical skills to do, uh, to implement correctly, while PO management and cost categories are historically being managed by finance and so really non-technical people. So that's why I, I see that it's not going to simplify the communication between the two unless you add someone in between that understand both finance and tech. And I would say like, like what we do every day, yeah. uh, that will help bridge that gap and make sense of those two new tools. It's very much AWS pushing admin work to the customer. Yeah, but, but trying yeah. to allow it to be automated, but you've got to be the one that automates it yourself. <laughs> yes, and you need to know how to map things. And I know PO usually are not easily mapped to anything simple. No. No, they're not really designed for that, are they? But I think with cost categories, the main two new things added with the support of hierarchies and status yes. tracking. But it's, you know, it's it's growing, isn't it? But like you say, it requires some programmatic skill to make it worthwhile. Yep. Next thing for me, Google Cloud CDN. Lots of changes happening, but most importantly on the FinOps side, it's got a cheaper and simpler pricing model, which Google is saying could save you up to 80% on your CDN costs, depending on how you're using it. Cloud CDN has always been pretty easy to use in a lot of ways that Google is in general. You know, they've done very well in making usability great if you're if you're a developer. But yeah, 80% cheaper now, which is a, a massive cut if you're using it in a specific ways. But it's meant to be cheaper across the board. But, you know, they're always going to highlight the, the best saving possible. <laughs> well, yes, that's marketing for you. But uh, no, very good stuff. So next one is still with Google Cloud. And they are providing, it's, a, it's an initiative that's continuing. It's a, they're providing you a free month of training with Coursera. So if you want to upgrade your existing skills or just start something new, that's perfect time. And uh, you can go on Coursera and Google Cloud will help you get that free month of training, which in one month you can learn so much. Yeah, it's great. And they do really good labs with Coursera as well. So that one's pretty exciting. Uh, I've already used my free month previously, so I can't have it again. Uh, but for those that haven't, definitely worth going, having a look and, and learning. Next on list, popping back to uh, AWS for a moment, uh, SageMaker has had some cost reductions, I think probably but because they've they've changed some of the infrastructure behind the scenes, and it's dropped around 18%. They're kind of staying between 11 and 18%. What I thought was really interesting about this article, though, this release, is that they state they are 54% cheaper than its closest competitor though for like for like service i'd be interested in some digging into that but i mean that is significant um, and it's great to see that even though they were obviously already cheaper they've dropped it by even more great news for the people looking after their pennies absolutely and next one still in aws is there are some new instances which you can hibernate uh, so hibernate means that you just stop paying for the machine it's not running anymore but instead of being shut down and losing things it's just hibernate just on pause which means that you continue to pay some storage but you stop paying for running the machine and that's on i3 which are quite costly machine m5 mm. ad r5 ad 
So it's quite a nice feature. If you have stuff that can run or need to run for a certain amount of time, you want to keep the status, you can just hibernate the system until next time you need them. There are few use cases, but they are really important for those, for the person having them. Fantastic. Now going over to uh, Microsoft Azure, which we haven't touched on yet. They have been working with OpenShift uh, with Red Hat. And based on a three-year RI, you can have um, a 77% discount on the license fee and it can run cheaper overall. So they're saying it's now probably the cheapest place to run OpenShift. And that, I mean, that's significant. And when you look at where other cloud providers struggle to uh, cheapen licensing, so uh, if you look at SQL running on, on other cloud services, Microsoft SQL, really interesting to see that Microsoft have managed to do a deal here, which is uh, discounting licenses from yeah. another vendor. Next one is Azure still, we stay with Microsoft. So that's file premium tier. So there is a 33% discount on Azure file premium tier. So that's also very significant because usually storage is where most of the money is made. Let's put it this way. So mm -hmm. they, and it's also the way you stay in because there is what is called storage gravity. It's very easy to bring data and it's hard to get them out. So the fact of reducing storage for me is quite important. 33% is quite a huge change and will allow people to move to that premium tier in a much simpler way. And so pro uh, my guess is that they are encouraging people to use SQL or uh, equivalent databases more on Azure. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. You talk about data gravity and I absolutely agree. It's, it's totally true. I was um, helping an organization move from Microsoft to Google and they had uh, about 300 terabytes sat in storage in Microsoft Azure. And when they were looking at getting it out, it was the hardest part of the migration. In fact, it stayed there. It never moved. Um, <laughs> and then over time, they moved the compute workloads to Google. And then because the data was impossible to move in the end, or, or certainly it was very inefficient to move, they've ended up going back to Microsoft with their, with their compute workloads. So it does just show <laughs> data is very important. If you get the data sat in your cloud, you're in a really strong position. This is one of the aspects that is quite important to understand. So you can understand the pricing that cloud vendors are doing. You understand why they are allowing you to bring data for free, but yeah. they are pay you're paying for the outside. It, it's all related to adoption still, cloud adoption and cloud help, uh, keeping people in. You can move away from instances extremely easily it's much harder to move your data around still uh, networking yep. is not it's not at the level of moving petabytes of data in seconds yet yeah and and you pay for it right you pay oh, for yeah, it oh yeah and you pay for bit. it and you pay quite a lot for it <laughs> yeah Slow absolutely and costly. <laughs> so next staying with microsoft aks yeah. and we all know I, I love kubernetes they are now allowing you to use spot to go underneath the nodes in kubernetes so your workers and uh, they've also added additional insight into spot so now you can see pricing history and eviction rates so you can see you know if you're using kubernetes it shouldn't be a problem uh, having to maybe change nodes etc but uh, you can see you know what the risks are and what the potential uh, cost spikes might be in your spot instances, which I think is a great step forward for those people looking to use that ultra cheap form of compute. Oh yes, if you have on Kubernetes and spot, you're really, you're doing good. Yeah. Congrats guys, because that, that's when you really know you're, you're top of your tech. 
Uh, last one uh, for, for today is really another one with uh, Microsoft Azure is the SQL database hyperscale reservation. So you can reserve capacity for Azure SQL database hyperscale. Uh, the idea also, which is very interesting is that you just block a certain amount of V cores. So how many CPUs I'm gonna reserve and then in a selected region any selected performance tier, but then how many databases you have. You might have five databases. For example, if you book five vCore, you might have five databases using one, or you might have one using three, one using two. It doesn't matter. It's all going to be applied immediately. It looks like uh, a beginning of uh, savings plans. I have to say the AWS savings plans. It, it has some kind of that feeling, but it seems to be done in a simpler way because you focus on the cores and so the CPUs that you have control over. It's a bit more like the Google uh, commit model, the initial Google commit model, which was based on CPU. Exactly. So, so yes. So I, I think that this is, this is a good starting point. And yeah, they touch the part that is the core customers, uh, SQL database, and you have less control or you want it to be quite wide and distributed over multiple AZ and so. Yeah, it's cross-regional, isn't it, hyperscale? It's, it's the kind of spanner of Yes, from what, yeah. But from what I've seen, the RI is still on Azure region. So okay. It's performance still Azure region, number of vCore on a, yes. That's why, I, I, yes, I checked and I was also a little surprised around that. Mm. Um, but yep, that's it, all the news of today. So now we're going to go to the next piece. The big topic. And so we tried to set ourselves a little bit of a challenge. Last, last month, we tried to explain cloud pricing. And, and this time, we wanted to come up with our kind of top 10 tips and on you know on FinOps and what people should do and the way we 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 approach this is because we came up with loads and getting down to 10 we said right we've been dropped into a company and we are being told we've got to reduce costs as quickly as possible on the cloud spend and you know try to choose the order in which we do that it's a bit like being you know dropped on a desert island and you've got so much water how do you preserve that water and that's how we've we've looked at it we've started with uh, and this was Frank's idea, but our first one was speak to the cloud vendors, see what credits are available, see what discount programs are available. So if we use the analogy of being on a desert island with water, go and ask for more water <laughs> as a starting oh, yes. point. <laughs> it's amazing what's available out there, especially in the startup world, VC-backed startups, there are some brilliant funding paths out there for you from the cloud vendors, especially if you're tech-based. But there, there are things anyway, you know, if you're moving stuff, there's POC funding, there's all sorts of funding models out there. The cloud providers and their account managers are looking to help you move into the cloud and, and use more services, you know, leverage that and see what's out there for you to be able to, to use and, and money's available to save. So that, that was number one, Frank, what was number two? So number two is review your regions. Are you using the right one? So when you decide where to put a workload, this is the cloud, you have 40 or plus possibilities usually. And so you need to choose the right ones. For AWS in particular, for example, you California is extremely expensive. Oregon, which is just nearby, is way cheaper. The worst one being, I think, if I remember my tables correctly, was Sao Paulo in Brazil. Sao Paulo, yeah. So if you can avoid Sao Paulo, please do. And this is quite easy to change even after you've done the work. So you just, as Steve was saying, if I were to arrive at a customer place, I would look at where they are using things, checking if they're using the right regions. If they're using strange regions, Germany also is quite expensive. You look at that and you say, is there a legal reason to put that here? 
Yeah. If yes, well, fine, that's the right place to be. If no, then move it to somewhere else. Europe, for example, or even the US. Stockholm. Are not far. Yes, yeah, Stockholm mm. is brilliant. So that's something that is uh, very second. It's very important and it's quite easy to do. Number three is review your options for switching things off, whether that is scheduling or whether that is um, just switching things off entirely. And, and that comes from how many times we see people having machines on that people don't know why they're there anymore. They might have been part of a POC or something and they're just not needed. So, you know, quite often when you do a proper review of your infrastructure and your usage, you'll find things that can be switched off and certainly things that can be scheduled off. So, you know, test and dev environments, things that are only used during the yeah. week, get them scheduled. If you're using infrastructure as code, especially set of lambdas to, to switch things off that, that don't need to be on. Yes, you'll have to keep your databases in place, but you might be able to pause them. So that way, if you think about how many hours are outside of working days that people don't need access to certain things and they don't need to be running all the time for polling updates or anything like that, it's a real way of making big savings straight away. Yeah. And you've got to look at your regions first. That's why we've put that there because you don't want to start making some of these other decisions that come later on after being in the wrong region. But also, you know, some of the things we say later on, you don't want to do on things that you could have just switched off for an amount of time. So we, we feel switch off what you can, have a review, test some things, you know, yes. see, see what can be done. There's that old adage of you know switching off an old box and seeing who shouts. Yes, uh, that's the usual. I love that way. But And just maybe I think about if you were just to keep everything 12 hours up, okay? So you keep mm -hmm. 12 hours, you're already dividing by two the cost. And then over the weekend, lots of things do not need to run over the weekend and lots of even servers do not need to run. And for payroll, for example, they probably need to run really full speed once a month. Mm. So use the flexibility of the cloud, find ways so that you can manage that expansion and reduction. And that's uh, to, to turn and turning things off. It's really, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, and that feeds uh, straight into number four, doesn't it? Yes, so it's leverage horizontal scaling where possible. So that means that there are some systems which effectively you can just buy bigger boxes but mostly most architectures today and most systems are all made to be able to scale horizontally what we mean by that is that you can inc increase the capacity just by adding new servers so for example for the web is a classical example any web server you have one you start with one and then it reaches a certain level of capacity you can add a second one and that automatically is going to work if you configure it correctly, load balancing, etc., that can scale up to from one person visiting your website a day to 10,000 because you've got that blog post, which is absolutely brilliant. Everyone wants to see that will scale, that will work, no problems there. That's something which is quite important because you don't have to prepare for the worst case scenario or the best case scenario of success. Yeah. It's one thing that people do sometimes get wrong here is they, they assume that things will instantly scale. If you know you're going to have a big event, uh, yep. so I worked with retailers in the past who knew they were releasing something on Instagram or whatever, and so they'd suddenly be very busy. You need to pre-warm, you need to set them yep. up. You know, there is a, a time it takes for machines to build, and that's why as we get further on, actually breaking down into containers where you've got a, a lower build time does allow your scalability and your efficiency to be even better, but we'll talk about that more yes. later on. But horizontal scaling is the first step of that whole process um, yes. and yeah being able to just go down to a fraction um of your your highest peak workload can offer such a massive cost saving 
which brings us to the next one for you. Yeah, um, consolidation. And by this, I mean, when you review your infrastructure, because hopefully you've done that to look at what can be switched off and stuff. One of the things I found in big transformations is how many people have databases separated. So they're all on different instances, uh, on different machines, when actually they could quite happily live on one big box, paying less uh, SQL license or Oracle license, whatever it might be, and just review how many times you're you're paying for licenses that you could reduce. And licenses is one of the key things you can you can save here, but it can also be boxes. You know, you might have particular services that are doing the same thing for different apps, and neither of them particularly busy, and so you can actually pull them into into one place and, and still keep the the workload safe and separate through sharding and things. But just have a look about how you can reduce your license footprint, because Absolutely, there might be reasons you're using licensed software, and that's absolutely fine. And, and that's coming from someone that's a big open source advocate. I understand that businesses have made decisions and, and they all have made sense and, and probably still make sense now. But that doesn't mean you should have licenses willy-nilly. Have a real look. See what you can do to reduce your, your footprint and bring it down, because that can save you some significant money very quickly. And there is a lot of uh, another a little more hidden less technical aspect to that is when you consolidate in particular databases as steve was saying is you effectively need less maintenance for people or better you have if there is only one big environment that manages multi-tenant and manages everything it's much easier for that dba that person managing the the db to optimize it and mm. it's it's much simpler the time taking to manage a, a big database is much smaller than managing 50 small ones great point Absolutely great point. We call those the great costs, don't we? The point, the cost that you don't see coming in on a bill, but so that's a great point. The next one is right sizing. So very easily in the past, when you were buying as a, when you were buying a box, when you're buying a computer, you would size it to be as big as possible, or you would plan for the most optimistic scenario. Uh, and lots of vendors also were just guaranteeing, say, oh, you absolutely need whatever 64 gig of RAM to run my my software. The reality is completely different. When you have the flexibility of the cloud, very often you, you can, you should, and it is best practice, you should start with small instances and check if you are getting the results you need. If you need something to appear in two seconds, everything that's bringing it up in less than two seconds is good, but you do not have to bring it to two milliseconds. Mm -hmm. So there is a big check on right sizing, which is Check, you start with a mini and then move to medium, large, X large, 2X large, and equivalent for other, other clouds, bring it up, but select the right one. That has a huge impact because pricing, usually moving from uh, a 12XL to 24XL is, is more than double. So every time you move a generation, usually you, uh, not generation, size, you will probably double the price or a big increase. So get the smallest that works for you. Absolutely. And again, that fits into the auto scaling and the, the horizontal scaling we've talked about. It should allow you to go for smaller boxes and then you can just have more of them when you need them. Um, that fits quite nicely on something you just said, Frank, into generational and family upgrades. Um, when you are looking at right sizing, if something is memory intensive, put it on the right family, put it on something that's designed to be memory intensive. Don't have loads of CPU sat there doing nothing. You know, you want to try to make it as efficient overall. Um, the next step of that when you've chosen the right family, is make sure you're on the latest versions. So, you know, if we use AWS as the, the best known example, if you're on an M3 and you move to an M5, 
there is a really significant improvement in performance and it's cheaper. So the cloud providers want you to move on to the latest generation stuff. You'll get a price benefit for doing that. You're also getting a benefit in performance. And, you know, especially if you're looking at M3, you could go to an M5A probably and yep. still see better performance and a real, real price drop because the, the AMDs are so much cheaper. So have a look about what's going to work and, and don't feel stuck to an M3 because you've always used an M3 or an M4 because you've always used an M4. You'll still see a price saving moving up one generation. You'll see a huge price saving jumping up in two and, and a great performance increase. So it's one of the first things we always look at before uh, the the next one is commitments and volume discounts. So this is about, there are always, every cloud vendor wants you to stay with them. We talked about gravity before, or storage gravity, but also they want you to commit so that you will guarantee usage. You guarantee you're going to use something for one year, three years, or something in between if you work with us. And that's in exchange for that, they're going to provide extremely interesting discounts. Okay, we go, we go really 40%, 50 you, you can really get somewhere very interesting with those discounts. Those are what we call commitments. So when you know something is not going to change for a certain amount of time, it's worth thinking, bidding to it, and that will bring you lots of discounts. It obviously needs to go after everything we said before. You don't want to commit to an old generation oversized. You want to make sure you're doing it in the right region for the right generation with the right size. And the other part of that, which is it's important to understand, is volume discounts. And there are some volume discounts that are quite uh, hidden, I would say. But for example, when you reach a certain level of storage, you can get discounts on S3, still on AWS. How do you reach that? For example, if you have on consolidated thing, you, you, might, you can get those discounts faster if you consolidate all the data in one place. So there are interesting things to look at and make sure that you're aware of, you ask, what are the volume discounts available? All of them, ask your account manager, that is going to be the next big way. That's number eight to get uh, in, the, in the road to cheap cloud. Cheap yeah, cloud. and uh, we missed it off the list, although we, we had it on the big list, but I think I was meant to mention it earlier in one of the others. But we can we can talk about it with commitments, although it doesn't it's not quite the same. But it's looking at tiering your storage as well. So Frank brought up using the again the volume discounts for storage. There is automated tiering now between putting things into into lower tiers. Number nine, which was a great one that Frank came up with, and I hope I can do it justice, but is put responsibility on the users so we've done all this work we've put the initial piece in place you know we've reviewed we've right-sized we've committed now we hand back the responsibility to the people that look after that system and we say guys we've got you in a really good state this is how we've done it we teach them we train them we show them how finops works and now we say this part of the world is your responsibility we want you to take responsibility for how this money is spent. And we make sure they've got the visibility of what they're spending, what it's being spent on. And that's why clarity and transparency is, is so important because you want the people that are running the systems to understand the implications of what they do and the cost implications of what they do. If you've just committed to a bunch of M5s and you know, middle of next year, M6s come out because it looks like they're delayed and your DevOps engineer trying to be really helpful, listening to our advice we've already said, goes and moves the, the generation, but you've got an, an RI that's specific and can't move up generation, you're starting to waste money. So it's about education and responsibility and making sure the users understand the implications of their actions and how that changes the cost. Yeah, I'm just going to add one thing there. It's a, it, there is 
we've see, I've seen quite often also some that the person using the cloud are not the one paying for the cloud. So that the, you'll have the IT team that will effectively create, do create software, but then the budget owner will be in finance or will be completely outside. And that means that people are not incentivized to use correctly or to really be efficient, money efficient with the cloud because wait, it's just so easy to turn something on. I need five new VMs done and I don't care about the price. So the idea is to bring that conscience of, look, turning five VMs on as an impact on your budget or something for you that you put the responsibility. It might not be you, it might be your boss, but we need to bring that responsibility, financial responsibility and awareness much closer to the user than it is today. Absolutely. So next, which is the last one, really, it is when you've done all of this, you can go into what is what everyone tells you you should absolutely do. And we'll explain why is the re-architecture of everything using native services. So the cloud vendors will provide you with the usual, let's say, virtual boxes. So that's all the usual. That's the, but then they also provide you with lots of new tools. So you'll have, as we said before, for example, database, managed database. That's uh, extremely useful. You don't have to manage the database anymore, the storage and all these kind of things. You also have lots of other services, queuing services, coding services. There are many. And in particular, you have now very fashionable function as a service, which is the, what very often they call also serverless. But serverless functions. So starting to move your architectures towards something which is microservices coordinated with AWS step functions, for example, will effectively reduce your cost dramatically. Uh, I've seen, for example, they were discussing that Red Nose, which is a big charity in the US, they have one night when everything happened one day a year. They used to spend thousands during that night in infrastructure. Uh, now with the use of the uh, function as a service, they spend less than $100. So all of a sudden, that really brings a reduction in cost that will, would be your OPEX, but the amount of effort to put it in and the amount of people you need to do that is huge. So it really needs to be either you're starting, so you start and you start immediately by architecting everything natively, or you will have to go through a huge work of migration. Last but not least, when you use native services, you're starting to use things which are only available in one cloud. It's very hard to move away when you've created all your architecture to run with the native services or Azure, it's going to be extremely hard to move elsewhere, or you'll have to rewrite everything from scratch if you wanted to move elsewhere. Yeah. So that's the big lock-in, I would call it. Yeah, and lots of, that's why a lot of people are kind of going with the middle ground, which is containers, especially an agnostic service like uh, Kubernetes, where you can almost uh, you know lift and drop it somewhere else without too much hassle. I, I will say the reason this is number 10 is not because we don't think it's the best way of saving money. We absolutely do. It's because we had to set ourselves a scenario, which was we had limited time. We had to save money as quickly as possible. And this stuff takes time. Um, you know, if we were dropped into a company and said, hey, you've got a load of developers, a load of time, uh, we've built you a new team, The we need to see cost savings in a year and we wanna see the biggest impact you can make. Hey, this would probably be our first point of call, see what could be re-architected, see what we can get into into serverless and, uh, and native functions. Um, yeah. But when we when we looked at it, as exciting as it is for, for the techies in us and the, and the fact that, you know, our backgrounds have both been in this stuff. 
um, when we're just looking at how to save money as quickly as possible, which we think is a, a good scenario for the current state of the world, then actually it falls down there. It's something that you can be doing once you've almost uh, stopped the bleeding and it's your long-term plan because it is your long-term plan to be able to save more money. Thank cool. you so much, um, as always. It's a, a pleasure doing this with you. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed listening and we hope to see you next time on uh, what's new in Cloud FinOps. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.